Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. We are now finishing off our teaching series through the book of James called Real Faith. And James has been encouraging us, charging us. Sometimes I think it's felt like beating us into a position where we realise that our faith has to have an outworking. True spirituality has to actually look like something. So James has walked through all these different ways that real faith actually shapes our life. And he comes in this passage to what John Calvin called the, the chief exercise of faith. I think what James has done is he has saved the best till last. He has saved what faith actually looks like first and foremost is this. It is to pray. It is to give your heart to the Lord. In whatever situation you find yourself, there is a breath of prayer that faith takes. Just like when a baby is first born and they take that first breath and it's normally like a, a wailing breath. And they kind of intake and then they just scream at everyone in the room. What happens when we're born again for the first time and we, and we receive this new birth from God and faith kicks in, the first thing that happens is actually prayer. Prayer comes from our heart and we go to God for the first time as God, our Father. And James, I think, waits until this moment because this is the last, the most important element of, of what it is to be a person of faith. This is what real faith looks like. Faith and prayer really in the Bible are synonymous. Jesus in this one place in Luke 18, he teaches to help us to pray and not give up praying, which I think we all, if we want to be people who pray, need that kind of encouragement. And he teaches us, he says, I'll tell you this parable so that you don't give up praying. And at the very end of the parable, he says this. He says, will I, when I come back to earth, will I find faith on the earth? At which point you could think, has he just changed subjects or has he moved on or does he actually consider prayer and faith to be one and the same thing that if you have faith you are actually a praying person and where there is prayer to the God of the Bible there you can actually find faith and it's just good for us to stop for a moment and just ask ourselves what what is our life like at the moment with our faith like if you were to make an assessment of your faith right now, how are you doing? And I'll give you a one way to give you an assessment from this, is how is your prayer life? Because very often we say, I have very strong faith, which often means people get very annoyed about stuff and you feel things very strongly. I have a very strong faith about things. Well, the question is not really, do you feel things very strongly? The question more is, are you praying? Because prayer actually displays the fact that you believe the God of the Bible and everything he said. Because this book is filled with promises from God to help us. It is filled with invitations to come and pray. It is filled with requests to come and call on God. God through this book is basically saying to you and me, like, I have made myself available to you. I have come, I've been crucified, I've been raised, I am now in heaven ready to pour out all of the riches on heaven if you will just ask me. And so if we just read it, we do our two minutes in the Bible, on the train, okay, good, got my Bible verses right. And then we're kind of just like, quickly got to pray like God 
help me with that meeting. See you tomorrow, I guess. Okay, bye. <laughs> like, what we actually do is display the fact that we don't believe the God of this book. Because if we did, we would be running to him, calling on his name, asking for breakthrough, begging him to come into our life where we need him, keeping him to his word. You say, you promise, Lord, you promise that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and I haven't seen an answer to that prayer. So I'm coming back to you fervently and asking. The very fact that we pray displays the fact that we believe. And so the opposite is also true. Because you could say today, hey, I'm a Christian, I believe. But if we don't actually enact that by going to God ourselves personally and praying, while we will confess a Christian faith, we will walk as functional atheists, believing that it's basically down to my hard work and me making things happen. And if I can just wait long enough, it will come into my lap. So our prayer life is sometimes horribly revealing about our spirituality. It's not a great way to start a sermon, because you're like, hey, this is, this is not a good way. You need to keep us here, Daniel. Like, I'm aware of that. But it's a sobering thing, isn't it? To just to think, how, how am I actually doing spiritually? Let's take an audit of my prayer life for the last week, and how, how much do I actually believe the promises of this, of this book? And so what James does, for us is that he just stretches us for a few moments. He stretches us in three different dimensions, but I, th- I think what he's trying to do is, is helping us reimagine what our prayer life could actually be like. Because if you're anything like me, what happens is life gets busy. And even as a pastor, I confess, there are times when I pray less. Because just life happens, and kids happen, and things happen, and events and stuff, and you're trying to get through your days, and you think, I've just got lots of responsibility. And what happens is that what should be a broad and wide prayer life, a a life with God that is full of joy and peace and rich prayer, actually shrinks down to become almost one-dimensional. That maybe you just, you pray the Lord's Prayer. You've got that in your brain, so just before bed you pray the Lord's Prayer and then that's kind of, that's your prayer life done and dusted. Or you're on the train on the way to work and it is just, it's a few prayers of like, God, would you help me with this, help me with this. Feeling really tired again, again. Lord, would you just help me? And then, and what happens is our prayer life shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And I think what James is doing here is he's asking us to stretch out our imagination as to what our prayer life could be. Your prayer life does not have to be just so-so. There are depths and riches and joy that you could experience in God if we just follow James. So I'm, I'm praying that your prayer life will be enriched just through these few moments. That God would do things in your heart that would leave you with a a greater sense of liberty, a greater sense of joy, that you'd be able to pray like Elijah, who prayed fervently, we're told, freely, with abandon, as we're going to find out. Because I think many of us, I think, I'll leave it with you to wait, I think many of us live with subpar prayer lives. Anyone? And we live with this nagging sense that I know there's depths that I could reach, but I just don't seem to get there. 
And there is a sometimes horrible thought that comes to my mind in the middle of what is an always busy life. Like, I could skate another 10 years through my life just <coughs> feeling like I'm on the surface still. You know, I have those moments of like, oh God. And I don't want that. I want to walk in the depths with God. I want to enjoy fellowship with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so I hope James just takes us one step deeper into this prayer life. And I realise I've got a lot of work to do to keep you involved and like feeling like this is going to be a happy sermon. But I hope we get there. It's for a good goal. So the three dimensions. And the first thing is this. He says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So James knows that suffering happens. All sorts of suffering. Relational stress, stress at work, physical suffering. There is always suffering that will come through your life. You get through one moment, you think you're in clear waters, something else is going to come. The question is, what do we do? There are two things that we can do if we don't believe the God of this Bible. The first thing is this, we can go and talk to our friends, which in and of itself is actually a good thing and something the Bible encourages us to do, to carry each other's burdens. So if you're suffering, you could go to your friends and you, you share your issues, you unload your burdens, you share your grief, your, your pain, your stress with them. But that alone, I want to suggest to us is actually not enough for at least two reasons one your friend will never even your best friend will never fully be able to understand your suffering you've ever had those moments where you've shared something really deep with like like a really good friend not like a bad friend a really good friend and you're just kind of aware that they've done everything to empathize but they still don't quite get it and so you're left with that, I am, it's still just me living with this. No one else can understand. There are those moments. And the second thing is your friend doesn't actually have the power to change your heart or to change that situation. So while it's not a bad thing, going to friends and family alone is not enough, I want to suggest, for our soul. The second thing that we do is that we just bury any kind of feelings, any kind of grief, any pain. We just crush them deep down. Men, anyone out there? <laughs> I've got an emotion. I don't know what to do with it. I know. I'll just bury it even further and let that ruin my 50s. Yeah, that's a really smart plan. But we just bet. I don't know what I'm going to do with this emotion. I haven't got time to deal with it. I've got meetings today, so I just crush it deep down. And we all know that where there are negative emotions that we crush deep down, eventually they are going to twist something in our soul that will have negative impact in our life. It is never a good plan just to crush emotions deep down. What James tells us is this, if you're suffering, don't just go to friends and definitely don't just crush your emotions and try and ignore them. He says, pray, go to God. The God who made you, the God who knows you, the one who actually understands fully everything that you are going through. And when you say, this is what I'm going through, it's like, I know, and I feel it. The one who can actually break into your life, help your heart, break, help the situation, the one who can do something. Go to him, James says, because he is the one who will actually provide everything that your soul needs. Your soul is too big just to keep the cares of your heart within this world. You have to go to, to God. He is the one who can bring health 
and healing to your heart and to your soul when you're suffering. And here's the good news about all of this, and something that I am still, still learning, is that when we are suffering and we pray, we don't actually have to be very polite about our, our prayers. And if, you, if you're white and British, like you, you'll understand there's a certain etiquette of way you do things, and you know, Charles mentioned his father being a gentleman. I remember we, we had a South Korean boy stay with us once, and we like, what do you want to do in London? He said, I want to meet a gentleman. I was like, oh, okay. So it's his perception that white English people, there were gentlemen walking around with top hats and cane, I don't know. But uh, they just understand they're gentlemen, you're polite. And what can happen in like white British culture, and maybe your culture as well, is that you actually take that kind of need to be polite. You don't really show all of your emotions to everyone because it's like, who wants to see all of your emotions on display? It's just ugly. Leave it at home. And you then bring that into your prayer life. And you think you're going through all of this wreck. Like your life is just feeling like it's falling apart. And yet when you come to pray with God, you're still doing this very polite recital of the Lord's Prayer. Like it's all great, but where's, where's the reality of actually what's going on? When you read the people in the Bible who actually knew God like a friend... It makes some of us blush with embarrassment. Jeremiah, I was reading this this morning. He he tells God in prayer, you deceived me. You're like, are you even allowed to tell God that? But he said, he just lets whatever, because this is the thing with God. He knows everything already. He sees every intricate emotion in your heart. So if you try and keep some of those emotions back, he's like, I can see all of it. I, I, I know it's there. Like, so you might as well just tell me exactly how you feel and be real with me. And honestly, it's a journey I'm going on. Like with some of the things going on in our life at the moment, you know, I realised, I was on the phone with Toria. I was just like trying to think about my life. I told her, I think I'm actually angry. And it's taken me about five and a half months to like get to this place because I really don't understand what's going on in here. I, I then, you know, I've still got this feeling of like, can I really allow God to know everything that's going on in my heart? Like, what if a rude word slips out in prayer? Like, I'm not out because I think some of us we come to God in prayer like we're kind of presenting our spiritual CV to Him. Like, here's how well I'm doing. I'm even praying. Did you notice that, Lord? Look, I gave an extra five minutes this morning. So we're giving our spiritual CV to God. Like, here I am presenting my best self to you. Or it's like a spiritual Instagram. Here's the best part of me, Lord. Here's me praying. I'm even memorizing this Bible verse from Bible in a year. Here we go. And so we're presenting ourselves. And if we feel like prayer is giving our best to God, presenting our righteous self to God, we will never be real with him because we will never feel like we can actually share the real emotions of our hearts and life. But if we know that we have already been made righteous by Jesus Christ, that he has gifted, gifted it to me, that that is done and dusted, sorted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then I can come to him freely knowing that I come on the basis of his righteousness and not my righteousness. Therefore, I can share everything with him. I can spew my heart out before the Lord. And he welcomes it. He loves to hear our hearts cry. It, you know, if you have children, you understand, like, you want your kids to come to you with everything. You want the mess, particularly. 
That's when you know, like, hey, we're getting somewhere and they trust me. Your father wants to hear the deepest parts of your heart. So that's the first thing. If you're suffering, pray, church. The second thing is this. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So are you happy? The right response in your prayer life is to sing. Because when you're happy, what do you naturally do anyway? You sing. If you've ever been in love, remember those moments? And you're like, you find yourself just humming along. Or if you're happy, you had a good day at work, you're in the car on the way home, you crank up the radio a little bit and you sing in the car. I saw you, Ale, going to the beach the other day on Instagram, singing crazy songs out loud. When you're happy, you sing. When Chelsea won the Champions League in the year that it really mattered, remember that year last year, that's one that really mattered. We went down to Stamford Bridge and there were like tens of thousands of people there chanting and cheering and singing. Why? Because London is blue and we're happy because there was a great victory. When you're happy, you sing, right? And so what James tells us is the right response when your heart is happy is to sing praises. You sing praises to God. Give all of that to God because he is the source of all blessing in our life. He is the one who gives everything that we have. For from him and through him and to him are all things. The question is, why, why is it that he asks us to sing? And some people say, well, God, he's, he's such an egomaniac. You know, because there's God sitting in heaven. And he's calling, you know, praise me. Come on, Londoners, praise me. Come on, New Yorkers, praise me. Come on, India, praise me. Come on, Philippines, praise me. Why is he always asking for all these nations to praise him? Has he got something lacking in his... God knows that the very thing that we are made for was to glorify and enjoy himself. So that when we come to him, this is the very thing that we are made for. Whenever I come to worship... And we're singing together, particularly the Trinity. So I always have this sense that, for me, I feel like I'm where I belong. Like, like I have just have this reminder that I feel like this is what I'm made for. Like, to be with friends before my Saviour, singing praise to Him. And my happiest moments, I think. My moments are most perspective, most peace, most joy, most awareness of what is real and important in life. Because my soul is made to sing to this God. And in the singing, there is a completion of what actually our soul should be about. C.S. Lewis, he says this. He says this. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. And so he says it's a frustrating to have discovered a new author or not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. And then, and or to come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley or unexpected grandeur, and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch, to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. So you know that feeling where you've discovered something great or there's some film or there's something or some place you've been to and there's no one that you can share with you know there's actually in the sharing there is the completion of the enjoyment of it and so when God says will you praise me he is asking us to complete the joy in our heart by expressing it to the one who has given us all things in the first place hallelujah which is why we sing why we encourage singing as a church my prayer loud singing just walk us singing to our Jesus Christ. Let me just ask a question this, and a pastoral question. 
Because if you're like me, sometimes, just sometimes, you know, once every 10 years or so, you might turn up to church feeling kind of spiritually tired. Has anyone ever had that happen? Like maybe once in a lifetime, you know, or maybe every single week sometimes. You know, you turn up to church and you think, oh, do I feel like singing? I got another song. Okay, we still hit. You have those moments like, okay, I don't know this song. Here's my question. In those moments, is it inauthentic for you to still sing loud praises to Jesus Christ? Is it unreal for you to actually, because I've had this accused of me. I've had a friend amongst us, not this church, previous church, and he says, I don't like it the way that you're doing other things. And then 10 seconds later, you've got your hands in the air singing praise to Jesus. He says, it feels inauthentic to me. Because like, what, how can you just be doing that with kids or whatever, sorting this out, and then you're up praising. How, how, how does that work? Isn't that inauthentic? But the reality is that God gives us singing as a, as a gift to us to lead us to a place of joy. That actually when we choose to sing praises to Jesus, we are reminded time and time and time again of whom he is and what he has done for us and how splendid his face actually is as he looks on us with kindness from above. So that singing is actually this gift from God that purges us from worldly thoughts, that shakes off lukewarm emotion towards God. It's a gift of repentance to us that every time that we come and sing, we are saying goodbye again to the world and turning our face to Jesus Christ so that by the time we finish singing, our hearts are full again with the glory of our God. Amen? Who's experienced that kind of thing? You start at 11, you're like, oh, I'm feeling okay. And then you get to 11.30, you think, actually, I could do another 45 minutes. This. I, 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 I want to be with Jesus. Because singing is a gift of God to us that we need to use. So let me ask you this. As a pastor to a church, as a friend to a friend, we start the service at 11 o'clock, okay? Now, I know not all of you come from England where, you know, the polite time is about two minutes before the time that you're supposed to be there. Not five minutes before, because that's impolite. Not five minutes after. I know some of you come from other places like <coughs> Brazil or places like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or other cultures that, whatever, you know, feel like time's just a suggestion, not an actual like. <laughs> Like as long as they're on the day, roughly, you know, we'll stick around. But <laughs> before I get into any more trouble, this is my this is my request. Would you turn up at church at like quarter to eleven, or ten thirty for coffee, or even ten fifteen? I mean, that's stretching it, but because there is a power and a gift that you give to other people when we start together in worship. And I know something wanted to do, blah, blah, blah. I, I know all of that. But we serve each other and the God that we love by arriving together and lifting up. We have like half an hour out of a week where we gather together. It's not a lot when you think about it. And if you turn up at five, 15 parts and then you've got five minutes to separate and you have 10 minutes of worship together, we lose out. And we lose out on the blessing of your voice being added to the symphony of praise that goes up to Jesus. 
And pastorally also, it's always the guests who are here early. So if you're a guest here, you know that. You're like, yeah, where was everyone? Like 11 o'clock, it's like all the church people turn up at quarter past. Actually, we can honour our guests by turning up at 11. Okay? Is that pastoral? Yeah. All right, shut up, Daniel. Okay, fine. Whoa. Thanks, Tom. You better be on time next week. So. <laughs> and then thirdly, I've got to keep going. Thirdly, this. If you're sick, he says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So he's saying this, if you're really sick, and I think the situation that James has in mind here, he's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem at this point, so he knows what it is to be in pastoral ministry and to have people who are so sick and so ill that they can't make it to church. I think he's thinking here of people who are in such a place of illness that they can't make it to church. He asks them, please ask the elders to come to you and they will come and anoint you with oil and pray for you where you are and as we pray in faith, believing that you'll be raised from your sickbed. So I, I don't think he's talking about, you have a headache, let's pray for that, you know, you feel a bit off today or whatever. This is a, this is a kind of a next level sickness where you need help. And I think he says this for two reasons. Firstly, if you've ever been really sick and you've been in your bed for a long time, you know that actually praying for yourself and reading the Bible yourself is actually a really difficult thing to do. I know the times when I've been really sick, I had pneumonia a few years ago, and I, I couldn't read the Bible. I, I, was, I hadn't a mind or a soul to really get many prayers out, maybe just the odd one. It's more like I just was watching TV to keep me occupied from how I felt. And you know those moments where you're really sick, and the Bible makes a portion for that. They understand what it is to be really sick sometimes. And you actually can't do the intercession that you need for yourself. So there is a call on someone else to come and pray for you. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this, that elders in a church have been given a special and a privileged role of watching over the church. Other, other places, elders are called overseers. That actually, we are called to watch over the church. And the way that we do that primarily is by praying for the church and for the members of the church. James hints at this because he says, let the, call for the elders and let them pray over him so that those who watch over are to now come and pray over, believing that as the elders come, those who have been set apart to watch and care for the health of the flock, as they pray in faith, there might be healing. And I just want to say on behalf of the elders, myself, Charles, Richard, Abdullah, for one more week, Abdullah, so make the most of Abdullah's presence with us. Everyone calling this week says, you've got to pray. <laughs> it is our privilege and our desire that if you ever find yourself in a position where you are struggling to pray for yourself, call us, text us. It would be a joy and a privilege for us to come and pray for you. I want to ask just two questions because there are two interesting things here. Firstly, this question about oil and then there's this question about sin. Why does James ask for the elders or say that the elders will anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord? Some will think this is like a 
James is talking about a kind of a rudimentary medicine, which he might well do. And the Bible is complementary about medicine. Doctors are a gift from God that we are to make use of. We don't say no to the doctor because we've got God our Father and we pray. We go to the doctors and we pray at the same time. I don't think what's going on is here James to say use, use medicine. I think for James, in his context, we always have to read the Bible in the context of those who are writing it. For James, when he would have heard the anointing of oil, he would have thought about kings and priests who would have been anointed with oil by prophets to be set apart for a special purpose. So kings, when they were coronated, they were anointed with oil so that they would be set apart for this special role as they ruled over the nation of Israel. It was this moment, this marking, where they were uh, set apart from kind of common use for a special purpose. And the same for priests. When they were consecrated as priests, they were anointed with oil. And we're told Aaron, oil dripped down his beard. So it probably just wasn't like a dab on the forehead. For them, it was actually a dripping of oil that would come upon them. Because they were saying, you are now set apart for a special purpose. And I think we need to read that context into what James is saying. So when you are anointed with oil by an elder, what that elder is doing is really asking the Lord that this person be set aside for a time in your eyes, Heavenly Father. That they might receive special attention. That they might receive a special blessing, a special help, a special healing because they are so sick. It is, as it were, asking the Lord to put a spotlight on them and for their prayers to be answered in this moment because this is not just a common sickness. Something special needs to happen here. So we anoint with oil to say, Lord, will you come and bring healing into this person's life? There's no power actually in the oil itself. We will probably, in all honesty, go buy it from Tesco's or Sainsbury's. We don't have to go to Galilee and get a special anointed prayed over oil. The power is not in the oil, the power is in the prayer that is in the name of the Lord. That when we come, we come in the name of Jesus Christ. That as elders, when we pray, we're praying for healing. Sometimes think, how can this person be healed? We pray, not within my own power, but within the power of Jesus Christ and his righteousness and all that he has accomplished in his death, death and resurrection. I call on Jesus Christ and his resurrection power to be poured out into your life. So we pray blessing with oil. And the second thing is this. What is this thing about sin? And partly I'm going to dodge this because I'm going to leave this with Charles the Wiser in uh, two weeks' time. Or just give him a problem, just kick the ball to him. But let me just ask the question, just so you know, at this church, we don't want to dodge the difficult passages. We believe that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. So even if it's tricky, there are things to be worked out that we can learn from, be edified from. But he says this, and the prayer of faith, the same one is saying, the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So is the indication that this person has, is there because he has sinned? And therefore, if you get a headache one day, is it because you did something naughty yesterday? If you're struggling with ill health this month, is it because you did that sinful thing last month? That's the question that we have to really wrestle with. The key little word in here, and sometimes the small words are the really important words, is the word if. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James opens up the possibility that yes, it is because of something this person has done in their life. 
All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all under this curse where our bodies are wrapped and in the implications of a sinful world that is broken and fracturing. So sometimes we are living with uh, suffering and pain in our life because indirectly because we've all sinned and sometimes directly because of sin that we have done in our own life. There are examples of that. But it's an, it's an if. C.S. Lewis says that our body and our soul live so close together that sometimes they catch their sicknesses of each other. So if your body is really sick, sometimes it does have an implication on your soul. And sometimes if your soul is sick and you are sinning, it does have an implication in your body. And so we can't dismiss it, but neither should we feel guilty because, hey, I've got this illness or I got COVID. Does that mean that I did something wrong? Or am I, like, am I being punished for something? We know that for those who are in Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But moments where we are physically laid low are moments for personal reflection. Just to think, Lord, like, will you examine me? Would you lead me in wholeness? Are there areas of my life that I do need to repent of? Why is that such a bad thing? Why would it be such a problem if the Lord wants just to highlight something that actually we do need to deal with? Actually, it's a kindness from the Lord as he leads us into holiness. More on that in two weeks' time. But let me just close, on, close with this. Um... And I really just want to end by encouraging us to pray and to pray and to keep praying. Because this is what James does. He gives us these three examples of if you're suffering, if you're happy, if you're really sick. And then he says this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that when you go to God in prayer by yourself or in a prayer meeting, that what you are doing when you pray as a righteous person has great power? Do you, do you actually believe that? Does your prayer life look like you believe that the Lord loves to answer prayer? Because we are going to need powerful and effective prayers as a church in the years ahead. Because the culture is not getting any more favourable towards the Christian church. And we are going to need more than ever, not strategies to help us navigate, but a praying church that will see the power of God put on display for London and the nations. We are going to need more than ever of people to rise up who actually believe this, that when I pray to the heavens, things happen. Angels jump to attention, that the Father turns his ear to listen, that Jesus Christ points out our prayers to the Father and actually the heavenly realm gets poured out and things will change in our world. We need a church who actually believes this verse. And here is the good news for you and I, that you don't have to be confident in this verse because you are doing particularly well as a Christian. You can be confident that your prayers are powerful and effective because Jesus Christ is righteous. He is our righteousness. So we don't have to read this saying, you have to have a squeaky, clean, a squeaky clean life, and then you can come to God and believe your prayers are going to be answered and powerful and effective. Now you can come to God as you are, and if you are trusting in the righteousness of Christ to be your righteousness, you can give your heart in abandon to God and believe him that he will answer you. 
Do you know that when you are righteous in Christ, that when you have believed on Jesus Christ, that his death and resurrection is now life for you and you receive his righteousness. When that happens, do you know that you obtain the same position between God the, before God the Father as Jesus Christ does? Do you believe that? Sometimes I don't, that's my honest answer, because I can see some of your faces are looking like, oh, I'm not sure actually. You obtain the same position before God the Father as Jesus Christ. You are bound up in Jesus, we're told, sat with him, ruling and reigning, at the right hand of the Father. You are in the same position as Jesus Christ because your life is based not on your performance but on Jesus Christ's performance. So that when you are in Christ and you are a Christian, you are actually loved by God the Father as much as Jesus is. So imagine how much Jesus is loved by God the Father. Like an overflow of infinite love just cascading over his son who has never sinned, never erred, and thought, word or deed, not even for a moment in his heart has he walked away from the Father. Everything has been pure. The, the, the delight that the Father has over Jesus Christ, that same delight that God the Father has over Jesus, he has over you right now and when Jesus prays to the Father there is, there is nothing to block his prayers, they are heard by the Father loves to hear Jesus prayers, we're told he's interceding for us even now, for you and when we come as a righteous person in Jesus Christ our prayers are heard like Jesus' prayers are now you can pray just the quickest quietest prayers and God the Father comes close and listens to and he takes them into his heart he says I'm going to answer that as I know how best to answer this because he knows best and those prayers when you believe that I'm righteous in Jesus God would you do this in my life are powerful and effective and so he uses this example from Elijah and he says this he says Elijah just in case you know, with a man with a nature just like ours. So don't think Elijah, yeah, fine, but he was like a prophet, like he did special things. He's not like me. I've got to go to work tomorrow morning, early doors, and I'm, did he have to do, like I've got things. No, with a nature just like ours, just like us, he prayed and he managed to change the weather systems. He says this, he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth and then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. You can accomplish things through your prayer life. Not because you're like Elijah, not because you're doing well, but because you are bound up in Jesus Christ. That you have this favourable position before him. So do you believe it, church? And will you pray like your prayers can actually change things? Will you pray fervently? That is, again and again and again. Because I know how it goes. You pray for a thing a few times. You think, oh, it didn't work. Elijah had to pray seven times for this to happen. He prayed fervently. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. A fervent prayer that the Lord loves to answer. Prayers that come back again and again and again. So we have a prayer meeting as a church. And I know how prayer meetings go. You start prayer meetings and there's super excitement. 
actually think it's a new prayer meeting. Things are going to happen. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We pray with so much gusto. And then we wake up the next morning and kind of life just moves on. And you forget about it. And you're like, what happened? You do that a few times. And you think, we keep praying at these prayer meetings and life carries on the normal. So I know I'll do other things. But God tells us fervent prayer will become God again and again and again. Then there's breakthrough. Church, we need breakthrough for a lot of things. We need breakthrough for people to come to know Jesus Christ in this city. Because there are millions of people who right now do not know Jesus and are walking away from him. The way that is going to change is through us praying fervently that lives will change. We've done it before. Our first year as a church, we prayed at the very beginning. We prayed for 10 people to be baptised. And that very year, we baptised 10 people. In fact, got to the end of December, and we baptised eight. And Mark gave his life to Christ in the Alpha course. And then his mum gave his life to, her life to Christ when he saw the change in Mark. And they both got baptised on the last Sunday of the year. And we baptised 10 people. We've seen God answer prayer. We prayed at the church weekend away for £20,000 off the back of that faith of Terry Virgo, if you remember. And at the time we had nothing like it. And now I spoke to Pat last week and we banked something like £21,000 that's going towards the church plant in Birmingham so that we can see the nations be glad in Jesus Christ that we are supporting this work. We prayed and God worked. We prayed for a, a venue. There was one time a few years ago we were praying. We need some clarity on what's happening with a venue because we're double tree. We just sent something. Our soul. God gave us an answer, an effective answer. The double tree called us and says, "You can't meet here from January because we're doing a refurb." He gave us an effective answer to our prayer, and He led us here to this point where some of you have found us. London needs your prayers if we're going to see the glory of God known. I'm going to stop beseeching you now.